Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So glad that you're here this morning, especially on a long weekend. So glad that you've chosen to be at church. Good morning to many of you watching and listening online at a cottage, listening on a plane or wherever you might be. We're so glad you're here today. Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, virtual or physical, we'd love you to turn, please, to the book of Psalms once again. This is our last week in the summer series called Let the Light In out of the book of Psalms. And we've been using this illustration all Sunday, all, every Sunday this summer to help us truly understand. A lot of us, I think we're perplexed and shocked to find out whether we grew up in church or didn't, that the Psalms took a thousand years to compile and write, that there are multiple authors. And as we kept diving into this part of God's word, we also began to see the intentionality and the wisdom behind them in the sense that there are different styles or genres that have been given to us so we can articulate, have the words and the emotions for every season in our life. We've been using the illustration of Netflix where you pick a certain certain style to dive into our golf club bag where you pull out a certain uh, golf club to, to deal with an issue on the course. So the same in the Psalms. The Psalms are written and there are at least 10 styles, if not more, found within them. So, so far this whole summer, we've gone through the wisdom Psalms, the creation Psalms, the Psalms of ascent. We've walked through lamenting and confessing and praise and worship. We've done the Psalms of confidence. A few weeks ago, we did the Psalms of rage called the imprecatory Psalms. And last Last week, we gathered around the kingship psalms where we exalted God as king. But today, we're going to end the series, I think, where we must end it. We're going to end with one last style that is so right as we transition from one year to the next. Today, we're going to look at the psalms of remembrance. We're going to be in Psalm 136, if you want to turn there. Now, the psalms of remembrance, each one of them, no matter which one you read, reviews God's work in history so that you personally, we as a community, can be reminded that God does not change. As we look back, then we know who God is, and then we know what he's done, then we know who he is today, and then we know what he'll continue to do, and he'll do again in the future. It is faith-building, it is inspiring, it is thankful at its core. Now, Psalm 136 is a pretty amazing little psalm. It actually was originally written to be a community hymn to be actually said together. And by the way, if you're going to read this later this week, you need to read Psalm 135 and 136 together. It's like twin sisters written together. Now, this psalm, 136, was actually used in temple worship. You can actually see the use of this psalm in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Very rarely in the Bible do you see a psalm actually used, but here it's actually used. Now, this was called by the Jews, even to today, the great Hallel. This is the great psalm of praise. And how it would be used is a worship leader, like we saw up to here today, would say the verse, and the congregation would say back the chorus. And it was this pattern of back and forth, whether chanted, said, or sung. Now, this, if you've been in church even for a while, you know this psalm. You may not know the reference, but you've sung it, you've said it, you've heard it, it's been read to you. And it begins like this in Psalm 
Psalm 136.1, and I want to say this one more time. This is one of the most revered psalms in all of Jewish history. This is one of their favorite psalms, and it's especially read during Passover. And it begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And everyone knows this, right? His love, what? Say it loud. Endures forever. In other words, the psalm begins by saying this. Give thanks, confess, acknowledge, recognize, joyfully say together as the people of God, our God is good, and we thank, we're thankful for it. So be thoughtful, be grateful, for we know who God is, and we know his deeds, we know his character, and we know that he is good. I love, though, when this begins, one pastor a very long time ago, probably 100 plus years ago, wrote these words about God's goodness. He said, you know, God is only originally good. Good of himself. All created goodness is a stream from that fountain, but his divine goodness has no spring. God is only infinitely good. God is only perfectly good. The goodness of God is the measure and rule of goodness in everything else. And so the psalmist cries out and begins by saying, give thanks, give praise, shout back to God, for God is good. And we need to ask ourselves the question, because we must in a culture of skepticism and wondering, well, why would we even say that God is good? And the answer is sung so easily, but it's so true. It's because his love endures forever. Now, by the way, that phrase is used 26 times in the psalm. If you're one of those people that every once in a while truly gets a little frustrated if we repeat a song a few times from the stage, just so you know, it's biblical. 26 times. The worship leaders are like, oh yeah, tell them, tell them. No, 26 times. And guess what? We're going to say this forever in heaven, so just get used to repeating. Okay, so his love... Love endures forever. Now, this phrase, his love, is used 245 times in the Bible, 127 times right in the book of Psalms. The psalmist says, why should we be thankful as a people? Because why? Because God is good, and he's good because of his love, and his love endures forever. Now, the word love is the word kindness in Hebrew. It's the word in Hebrew, hesed. The word hesed means compassion, kindness, loyalty, great love. But it even means more than that. See, we need to understand what that word means so we can appropriately be moved into praise. See, this word hesed is a marriage word. This word hesed is a covenantal word. It means kindness, It means deep loyalty. It means exploding great love. So this is how it reads. May God who is always faithful to his wedding vows. May God who is always faithful who will never leave you. Who who is always present. May God have this type of marriage-like relationship personally and corporately with you. Think about it this morning. If you're a Christian, has God ever not been faithful? Has God not ever been kind? Has God ever broken his word or his vows to you? Never. May the true God, the only God, the God of Israel now found fully through Jesus, revealed by the Spirit, may that God not only know you, may he, not out of duty, but out of mercy, not out of obligation, but out of hesed love, encounter you. Isn't that profound? 
In the book of Lamentations, one of the darkest books to read, right in the middle of the woe and the brokenness and the wondering and the cry of desperation, right in the middle of that book, Jeremiah penned these words using the word hesed. Because of the Lord's great hesed, his great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, what? Never fail. See, his love is not required by civil law. Our God does not do this out of duty. It springs from him. Because the DNA of our God is love. God is a faithful covenantal partner that will never leave you. He will never cheat on you. He will never have an affair on you. He never overreacts. He's never passive aggressive. He's ever not present. Our God always is Hesed love. And that is why we can declare that He is good. Amen to that? powerful. And then the psalmist is sort of rearing, he's just starting to go, and so he begins this sort of amazing, joyful tirade. Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. Not only is God good because he is hesed, and by his DNA he is good, he is also good because he is greater, and he is supreme. It's what we talked about last week when we looked at the kingship psalms. Our God is the God of God's the Lord of Lords, our God is King. And like I said last week, oh yes, there are many kings on earth. Oh yes, politicians, scholars, dictators, presidents, prime ministers, inventors, and scientists. Every generation is filled with the great ones among us, the ones that inspire us, the ones that show us love, the ones that terrify us, the ones that assault us. Our generations are filled with those who have wisdom and military right might. They use their power rightly or wrongly. And also the scripture is clear. The universe is not mechanical. It is organic. It is filled with many spiritual beings that call themselves gods, principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities, all true. But the psalmist reminds us this morning that God, unlike all the others, they all have starting points. He does not have a starting point. Our God is uncreated. He is not just a God. He is the most high God. No one can reach him. No one can touch him. No one is like him because he's not just high. He is supreme. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Our God is awesome. Our God is worthy of fear. He is overwhelming and grand and breathtaking and splendid, tremendous, remarkable, awe-inspiring, astounding. He is the great king over the earth. And that's why the psalmist cries out and says, oh, give thanks and give praise to God, our God, for our God in his very DNA is trustworthy. He is good. Our God is forever hesed. Our God is king. And the psalmist says, and not only is he king, we must remind ourselves again of who he truly is, for he also is the creator of heaven and earth. To him alone, the psalmist cries out, who does great wonders, his love endures forever, who by his understanding standing made the heavens his love endures forever who spread out the earth upon the waters his love endures forever who made the great lights his love endures forever the sun to govern the day his love endures forever and the moon and stars to govern the night his love endures forever we talked about this as a family 6 weeks ago in the creation psalms 
All of it, the psalmist says, all of it. Angels to atoms, whales to trees, sea, sky, billions of stars, sun, moon, bugs, animals, mountains, lakes, everything. Humans, flowers, rocks to mountaintops, diamonds to dirt. Creation in its complexity, creation in its color, creation in its diversity, declares, proclaims, and pours forth speech, not only about the existence of God, but the nature of God. The chaotic order that we get to live in creation in its beauty and pageantry and sweetness and terror seven days a week 24 hours a day it announces and informs and points humans to the idea not just of a creator points humans to their creator or as the psalmist said in psalm 191 the heavens declare the glory of god and the skies proclaim the work of his hands so the psalmist says you give thanks you give praise to the god of god to God, our God, for our God is good, and our God is Hesed, and our God is King, and give thanks because He is our Creator. And then the psalmist says, But there is more. Oh, there is more that I must remind you about once again. For not only is he all of these things, and if that is not enough to give praise, he also has decided to step into people's lives, into nations' lives, into personal lives, and he becomes personally our Savior and our Redeemer. Now the psalmist goes back at this moment to the story of the Exodus, the most precious moment for the Jewish people. This is why this psalm still today is sung at Passover. And this is what the psalmist pens. To God, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. If you know the story of the Exodus, God brought not one but ten plagues upon the Egyptians when they refused to let God's people go. The summary of all of that is found in Exodus 12, 12. Where God said these words, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both of people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I love when one scholar said these words, this, this refers into the which the way the plagues would affect not only the Niles, the Nile, but the various animal symbols of the gods of the Egyptians, but much more, this is a declaration that the defeat of the spiritual powers behind the idols is finished and it is done. When they are singing this psalm, they are not only remembering how God physically rescued them, they are declaring that the gods of Egypt, those true forces, could not stand in the presence of Yahweh. They also were struck down. He continues, he says, and we were brought, and God brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. God brought Israel out of slavery. God personally stepped in and redeemed them. Again, such a biblical, powerful idea. It is redemption. It means to liberate the price, to liberate by paying the price. It is ransom. This basically is reminding us that God stepped in and bought and purchased and fought for his people who were slaves who could get out other than, no could not get out other than him and his work alone the psalmist continues with a mighty hand and outstretched arm his love endures forever to him who divided the red sea asunder his love endures forever and brought israel out through the midst of it his love endures forever but swept pharaoh and his army into the red sea his love endures forever 
God by his love. God because he is hesed. God because he is good. God by his own power did miracle after miracle. He said things. He redeemed. He stepped in. And he rescued his people from slavery. In other words, you could summarize it this way. God decided once again to defend his beloved. The psalmist continues, To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. You know, it's so funny, in one line, it equals 40 years of God's history among his people. The wilderness wanderings. God's hesed did not break or run out. In the barren, scorching desert for 40 years, between one and two million people, God sustained him. By his love, God did not run. His loyalty did not withdraw when the loyalty of his people ran away. His kindness overcame the rebellion and sin, doubt and skepticism. Remember the story, 40 years, water from rocks, manna and quail from heaven, the giving of the Ten Commandments, encounters with the living God in the tabernacle, God's actual physical palpable presence by cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And the psalmist says to his community and to us today, we must remember. We must remember our history. We must remember his dealings with us in spite of our repeated rebellion and idolatry. We must remember that God's hesed did not run out when our love ran out for him. God displays his loving kindness because his loving kindness is truly everlasting because our God is everlasting. He continues, he goes from creation to redemption, and then he goes into the promised land where he repeats the story of the entrance. To God, to him who struck down the great kings, his love endures forever, and killed the mighty kings. His love endures forever. Shion, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. Gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. I love when one pastor just wrote this very beautiful, simple summary. Pharaoh and Shion and Og, all impressive kings. Pharaoh came against a defenseless Israel with a powerful army. Og was actually a literal giant, but none of them could thwart in the slightest God's covenantal promises to his people. No one can stand against God when his arm is outstretched and he decides to act. God steps in and he says, I'm done. So the psalmist says to us this morning, give thanks and give praise to God our God for our God is good and our God is hesed and our God is king and our God is creator. Give thanks to God for our God is savior and our God is redeemer and our God is warrior and our God is our defender and he's our sustainer and he's our forgiver. And the psalmist said, if that isn't enough to get you worked up to sing to Jesus, he says these words, he remembered us in our lowly estate His love endures forever. And he's freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. God remembers you. This is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful statement in this psalm. The great fear of us as humans is that we will what? Be forgotten. 
that we will not be loved, we will not be cherished, that we will not be remembered. This produces literal horror, anxiety, existential despair when we do not think that we are truly loved or remembered. But God comes in and confronts the horror and anxiety and existential despair in humanity because God not only chooses to know about us, that is, we exist somewhere. No, no. He says, I remember you. Alone is the truly scary and haunting shadow we spend our lives trying to run from and avoid. And yet to us that know God this morning and are walking under his hesed through Jesus, we know that we will never be forgotten. Right? Amen? Do we not want a life of worth? Human beings are obsessed about worth. A life that has weight. A life that will be remembered. And a life that will be remembered far beyond status and books and inventions and achievements and actions. Most people spend their life trying to build some form of memorial to themselves. So when they die, they will be remembered. But here's the something that we don't ever want to talk about. 99.9% of humans will never be remembered within three to four generations. They will be what? Forgotten. Tell me your great, 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 great grandfather's name. Go. You don't know it. Ancestry.com. Okay, fine. But here's the point. We will be forgotten. Our achievements will be forgotten. But this is the profound statement, not only in the now, but the not yet. What God remembers never fades. What God remembers never crumbles and is never forgotten. And here's the powerful thing. God never will forget you. He remembers you, and when he remembers something, it is not just for the now, it's the not yet. What God remembers ripples into eternity, and what God remembers is always the focus of his love. And then God not only loves us by seeing us and acknowledging us and being involved, then the small little line just takes place. God has freed us from our enemies. See, I love the name of God, God uh, Almighty, or Lord Almighty, God of angel armies. Our God is a warrior, and when someone threatens his children, he shows up to deal with them every single time. So he comes and he says, I am remembering you, and I've set you free, and I am a warrior for you. And then the psalmist utters these words, quite shocking actually, if you know the context. He says, he gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. He just reminds us that God, as we sang this morning, is a good father even generally to creation. Why? Because God, even to a broken, hostile, rebellious world, continually loves even to feed us, to sustain us, to provide environment for us. God is not only creator, he's sustainer. And then it says this, give thanks to the God of heaven. This is the only time in the book of Psalms where this title of God is used. It's used probably 24 times across the whole of Scripture, but only once here. And why does the psalmist choose this in this moment? Let me tell you why. Because the psalmist wants to remind us once again, even now, if he was standing here in 2015, he would want to remind us that our God is sovereign. Our God created the heavens and the earth, and our God is in the heavens. And since he is in the heavens, he is above all things that he has made. So nothing is actually avoiding him. Nothing is outside of his gaze, and nothing will be able to overcome him. He reminds us that at the end of the day, even in the midst of the trouble we face, God is sovereign, and he is good, so we can trust him. The psalmist says, give thanks 
Give praise to not just a God, to our God. For our God is good, our God is hesed, our God is king, our God is creator, our God is savior, our God is redeemer, our God is warrior, our God is defender, our God is sustainer, our God is forgiver. He remembers us, he conquers for us, he provides for us, he is God, he is the only God, he's the God of heaven, and we get to know him personally. Now, we're a Christian church. We gather around the Holy Trinity in this church, like all churches globally do. And we know that the God of Israel is actually the God of the nations. And we, of course, know as Christians that the ultimate fulfillment of Judaism is found in the face, in the name, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is revealed by the Holy Spirit. And what's so profound is when you pair the Old Testament to the New, the whole thing comes together as one seamless story. See, all the historical events that are offered up to inspire worship and the God that is at the center of all of those events is understood and realized and fulfilled in Jesus himself. All those historical acts and all the titles of God find their end in Jesus Christ. Because what? Jesus is the creator God. Jesus, think about this. I love this. Jesus is God the Father's hesed for the world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is our king, and Jesus is our savior, and Jesus is our redeemer, and Jesus is absolutely our warrior. Jesus is our defender. He's our sustainer. He's the one that forgives us. He's called the great high priest that remembers us forever and stands in for us at this moment and forever before the Father, so we're forever made right. And Jesus is our warrior who conquered death, sin, and Satan. In other words, he walked into our Egypt and set us free from the pharaohs that are much more deadly than the Pharaoh of old. He is our provider. He's the God of heaven. Jesus is God's hesed for the world and for us forever and ever. Now, this style of psalm, when seen through the scriptures as a whole, is given for a reason. Because we've been asking every week, when do I pull out this golf club? When do I need to think on this type of psalm? Well, remembrance psalms, are absolutely crucial over the long haul of a Christian's life. This style of psalm acts like a record, like a photo album. It forces you to stop in a pace, in a culture that's pace is never stop. It forces you to stop and not always look to the future or see what could be accomplished today. A psalm like this commands you almost to stop. It stops us in our tracks and says you must recall what was. They become the place of record. They they become the place of remembrance of what has been given and who God is and what has been done. Why is this important? Because if we as people of faith found in Jesus do not ever stop, we will fall prey to the lie that we have accomplished these things. Or we will forget who our God really is in dark periods and we will, religiously or in other ways, begin to look to other gods for our help. These psalms are also given for something even more significant than that. These psalms are actually given to us to teach us how you pass the faith on to the next generation. How you call, if you have children or or, or nieces or nephews, how you call your children or their children or their children's children to know and follow and encounter the God that we have experienced and known in our generation. And here's the other thing. They inspire thanks. 
If a church stops being thankful, a church is filled with politics or coveting. But when you are thankful continually because history is not owning you but ever-present, coveting is broken and politics falls to the side. These psalms are given to make sure that we do not commit the sin of Babel who says, I will do this or I have done this. It shows us how to pass our faith on to the next generations. It deeply confronts coveting among us immediately and then inspires faith. So let me ask a question on this long weekend, a very simple question among us. Have you even ever done this before? When is the last time, as a follower of Jesus, you have stopped and remembered intentionally? You've shut off all forms of technology around you for three minutes. I know, it's difficult, it's possible. You'll go through withdrawal, you'll make it. Now, just do it. And given a moment... Not to hear God's voice for today or do a devote. No, no. To remember what God has actually done in your life. When is the last time you've taken literally a piece of paper or gone on mind map app or something and you've literally drawn a line backwards and you have written down, you have recounted in your own life and in your family's life every single time that you can remember where God stepped in. Whether you stepped out or not is not actually the question. When God stepped in and did something that was life-changing or sustaining, maybe God healed you, your conversion. Maybe God didn't heal you, but his presence was unbelievable, or one of your children came back, like, when is the last time you sat down in the busyness of the the thing called your life and went back and say, I am going to stop and intentionally recount every profound or simple thing that God has done in my life since I have been born? If you do that, let me tell you what will happen. You will be filled with thankfulness and faith by the end of the exercise. Because you will realize how much our good Father has done for you. Here's a greater question. When is the last time you have sat with your family or your connect group and said, and now I want to tell you what God has done in my life. I find this so fascinating that majority of time parents, if you're a parent, never sit with their children and recount the great things of God. We must do this. Because as we begin to do this, and as they begin to hear when you were a teenager, or when God moved into your life when you were 12, or 15, or 20, or or 30, they will begin to go, this isn't just a duty thing you do on Sunday. You actually know this God, and maybe I want to know him too. This is a way to build faith. This is a way to build thankfulness. This is a way actually for some of you who've done church for a long time to actually find the joy of your salvation again. Because when you see what he has done, you will be reminded he has not changed, and maybe he'll do it again. The Psalms literally teach us how to recount history and then share it with others. Here's the second thing. I would be really remiss as one of the pastors in this church if I didn't stop, as Jonah was saying earlier, and didn't stop at this moment as we move into a new ministry year and just be publicly thankful to God for what he's done in the last year in our church. Wouldn't you agree? Like, every season in a church can have ups and downs, but this last year has been a shocking, beautiful act of God that we've prayed for for years. Let me just say a few things just to remind you once again, even of the last 12 months. 
in the last 12 months, we grew by 27%. Now, I just want you to catch that. In a country where church going is crashing and churches are closing their doors all over the place, God has been kind to us and we've grown by 27%. People are staying and they're here. It's, it's, it's profound. For five or six years, giving has gone up systematically. The generosity of this church has been growing. Last year, our giving went up another 12%. It's 96 baptisms. Like, hold on. 96 people among us stood up and said, Jesus is Lord. It does not get better than that. 59 people went through restoration prayer. 59 people aren't harassed by demons anymore. Are you joking me? Like, no, like, this is what we are about. People connecting to connect groups. People serving more than they have ever done before. People having visions of Christ being changed. Radical lives. Like we were praying up here earlier today. And one of the people on stage was publicly among us thanking God. Because in this year, Jesus intervened in his life. Brought him back to himself. Radically changed his life. And he's leaving on a mission trip in two days. And a year ago, he didn't even love Jesus. Like this, this is what we need to be thankful for. Last weekend, I was hanging out with our young adult community, I, I, I'm continually stunned by this. I'm, I'm, last Sunday in the middle of August, I'm sitting with 160 university su- students worshiping their faces off in a former club as people are walking by. I, I, I find great humor in this. Like these, these teenagers and young adults are like crying out to God and everyone's going to Jack Astor's looking going, what's going on? I love it. It's so beautiful. And they're just singing and they're celebrating. And then Joel, our, our pastor of young adults, stops and said, you know, usually we preach a sermon, but we're just going to hear stories today over the last year of how God has radically changed lives and and people started sharing their story and and as I was sitting in the back I just started to cry not just because it's a young adult thing just the story after story of people said I've met Jesus I've been changed by Jesus and as I was watching it last week there was one small testimony that was given a little video and I just want to stop the service now so we can publicly give thanks and this is just one example of many just watch this this is one story out of of hundreds that happened last year in our church. Let's watch this. My name is Justine. Growing up without God was difficult. My parents were non-Christians, forced into marriage, so I'm an only child. My father was abusive, and it only got worse with age. I was bullied at school until I was 17. In high school, I became anorexic, and at my worst, I was 85 pounds and got very sick. I was depressed, so I attempted suicide and was admitted into the hospital. I became an alcoholic at 17 and wandered the streets drunk almost every night, begging for an end. At 18, my home life got so bad, I had to run away. But when I came back, I met friends who were Christians and found God. I had an insane, out-of-body experience, and I never looked back. I got baptized and I left Winnipeg. He led me to Tyndale, to C4 and the community I always needed, and now to YWAM come October. With God, I now know what courage feels like to leave those who hurt me. I feel safe. I am not afraid anymore. Most importantly, I now know what it feels like to be loved and no one can ever take that away from me. Right? Like, right. And what struck me when I watched it was she has experienced what? Hesed. 
No one can take God's love from her. And so we need to just as a moment, and we're going to lead us in a few seconds, but just like, wow, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in the last year. And may you keep doing it. Here's the last thing I want to end with today out of this sort of style of psalm. And by the way, if you are now sort of getting disconnected or going to Facebook, this is the time to put it down. Um, there's one last act of remembrance we need to do as a community. For all of you watching and listening online, could you just, just stop for a moment and, and really pay attention? If you're driving, keep driving. But other than that, um, just listen. You see, not only are we to be thankful for what God has done among us and is doing, not only are we called to go back in our histories and learn thankfulness so we can pass it on to the generations coming and find joy now, in March of this year, and many of you probably don't remember it, there was an actual word given to our church, a lengthy word, not just a verse that was tested uh, by multiple leadership. And this was, and I'll use the word biblically, like a New Testament, like a prophecy given to the church about the renewal and revival and awakening uh, we're praying for. And as I was uh, preparing this week, it was resubmitted. And I want to read it to you again. Because I am struck as I read it, what also is in it, but also one of the things the Lord asked us to do as a community. So I'm going to read it. I'd just like you to get in a posture of really hearing this this morning. Because some of this, by the way, has already taken place. This was given in March. But this is significant to what has happened and what is about to happen among us. And at its center is remembrance and action. So can I just pray for a second that we'd all be prepared to listen. Are you okay with that? We do that together. Just Lord God of heaven and earth. God who wrote this Psalms, found in Jesus, would you just in this moment, because you have spoken uniquely to our church, because you've chosen to, make us open to again hearing what you've started. Uh, In Jesus' name, uh, amen. So here's what was given in March. Let me read it to you again. God giving this to us. Prepare yourself, C4. Prepare yourself. Many of you are still hiding from me. You choose not to tell me of past sin or pain, and you choose to avoid talking to me even about present sin. I am coming, and have now come in part. See, for the Lord says to us, prepare yourself. Take time now. Don't be distracted and do not delay. Do nothing else but first come to me. Each one of you personally, come quickly and boldly to me into my light through Jesus, your high priest. Come into the light and do not withhold anything. Remember, this is the Lord to our church. Talk to me about all struggles, all unresolved doubts and questions. As each one of you sits as a good father, I will show you what you must repent of, what you must confess And what I will choose to heal in you. I will not heal all things, but there is much history and pain and misunderstanding within this church. I will heal heal now in this very season. Now is the time. I speak to all of you that make up C4. Prepare yourself. As my word says, uh, but just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. And then this was uttered. I see hate and mistrust and anger, and politics, not patience in some of you. I see deep secrets that some of you think I choose not to see, or you think I cannot see, but I see everything. I know all, I'm everywhere, so I have come, and all of you personally must choose not to miss my move. 
Consecrate yourself. Confess your sin and set your lives apart for my work in this part of my world. See, for do you not know? Do you not perceive I'm doing a new thing here? See, for where I am actually taking you and other churches, my fuller church, not one of you, not one of you have been there before, not your leaders and not your ancestors, not even the faithful remnant in this region. And since I'm doing a new thing for my glory, you must follow me now. Now is the time, and there is a line you must cross. Do you not know that I am God? This was connected to Joshua in its time. I was with God, I was with Joshua in his time. I'm with you today. As I dried up raging rivers in that time, so I will dry up all that's standing in your way, C4. I'll dry up, dry up the want for sin. I will dry up pride. I will dry up shame. I will dry up guilt. I will actually dry up sickness in this church. I will dry up anger. Will I not overcome all that oppose my will? There is not one demon, and there is not one person, and there is not one leader inside or outside of the church that can stop what I have decided to begin. And then this is what was given to our church. Call out, and then step out. As you cross the brink, the soles of your feet, where your, where your fo- soles of your feet go, I will tell you what to do, and then I will act. So for in this season, I have chosen to do wonders among you. You think some of your marriages are dead? No. You think your children will never return? No. You think that I will not save many in this region? No. I have decided to act, says the Lord. Will it seem marvelous in my eyes when I do these things? No. And yet you see four, and many other of my people and churches in this region will say these words. In these days and in this generation, has not our God shown great mercy to visit us as we have asked him? And then this is what, oh my goodness, when I read this again. Oh my people, write these things down. Do not forget the sins I have already forgiven in this move. The healings I have brought and the salvation I'm giving. Because in this time for this season, you write down what I do for you and what I do in your families and in this church and other churches in this area. Write it all down. For there will be times you will need this to be reminded in the future that I am good, that I am with you. This will become a place of remembrance where you in this generation will inspire generations to come to seek me in their day as many of you are doing now in this day. And then this was given. I have come. I am coming in greater ways. And then the Lord said, I will not be stopped. O see for my church, the ones that my father elected, the ones I shed my blood for, the one in whom my spirit lives. To you, I speak and say, step in and do not let fear or control or power or race or history or theology be your place of stopping. I am inviting you as a church to partner with me now. It will not always be this way. These wonders, this season of miracles are only here for, under sovereignty for a small period of time. Don't harden your heart. Do not miss out. For now in this season, the kingdom will grow faster and wider than is expected. So prepare yourself. Prepare your families. Seek me personally. Seek me corporately. For in the season called tomorrow, I will act. This was given in March, and I think as a church we can say that we have, we can 
testify, to use an old word, that God has done some of that. Would you not agree? Yes or no? Yeah. But this is far from done. And so I want to remind this church, as not the only church, as one of the churches in the Father's kingdom in this region, that we have been commanded uniquely to write down everything that's happening because it's not just about this revival that we've begun to experience for the last two years among us. This is also about generations that may not even be born yet. When I read what God did 200 years ago, I am inspired to keep fighting for today. And maybe there are people yet to come, like me or you, that will read our story that God started. So C4, I simply end by this and then we'll pray. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Do not hide sin. And not just sin. You go before the Lord with all pain and all doubts and you say, Lord, come. You keep seeking the Lord, we together, and say, do something in our day that our people will say it had to be God. There's no way C4 could have produced this. And write it all down and start sharing it. Because God is doing a thing for a season. Not every season is the exodus. Not every season is the promised land. But in this time, the Lord has decided to do it among you. Are you not thankful to our God that he even stepped in like this? Yes or no? Honestly, yes. Yes, so, so good. So let's pray. Let's stand together and let's pray. God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, King of kings, Lord of lords, God who is creator, God who is sustainer, redeemer, savior, warrior, we pray this. Number one, Lord, lead some of us to write down our histories personally and be thankful. Number two, we corporately, as we end this year, say thank you, thank you, thank you for the hundreds of stories of people meeting Jesus, turning from sin, being healed, doing community, baptisms, like, thank you, Lord. And lastly, our simple prayer is this, Lord, don't stop. Until you've accomplished everything you want, we say we'll be your partners, and we say yes. God our Father and God the Son, send the Holy Spirit in such power, even in this year, that the phrase all over the earth will not be a hashtag, no. It will actually be a lived out experience. All for the glory of God, not for us ever. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.